Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. This show is brought to you by Slate House Property Management. Slate House manages over 3,500 units across the Mid-Atlantic, including Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Property management is sure not the sexiest industry, but what makes Slighthouse unique is it was founded by investors and engineers. Slighthouse has built or licensed over 12 different technologies to improve returns for investors and make better living experiences for tenants. Full-time maintenance guys help work get done quicker at a reasonable price. Slighthouse manages properties for many of the guests on this show and has helped them scale their business while they focus on acquiring properties. For more information, go to slatehousegroup.com, call 717-413-6976, or email service at slatehousegroup.com. Look forward to talking to you. So look, guys, I am I'm pumped. Uh, one of my favorite sayings is I'm super pumped, and tonight I am. Uh, three amazing investors, people uh, that I've become friends with and learned a lot from, all joining us. Uh, and it's interesting, I'm, I was trying to think of commonalities they all have. And uh, yes, they're all women. But it's interesting that I didn't like, I didn't, want to, I didn't want to call that out. What I think is even more interesting is that all three of you guys, as I was thinking about who you are and your bios and stuff, you all both done rehab projects and done long-term uh, investing, which may not actually sound like a big deal, but I actually think it is. I think it's actually really hard to pull off both. Um, and I think there's some like huge advantages to having done both. I personally am actually not a huge rehabber. Uh, we've rehabbed one or two things here or there, but I wouldn't say I'm a specialist in it. I wouldn't say I'm really good at it. Um, we're kind of more like buy and hold folks. And there's obviously lots of people who flip homes, but I really love the intersection of both. And so uh, I think that's interesting. Uh, you're also all awesome and very generous with your time. So uh, thank you for joining. I'm going to intro each of you first. Um, you can kind of say a little about yourself. Um, so I guess we'll just go left to right on my screen. So Ashley Wilson, uh, who I thought we met at the Bigger Pockets conference. If you haven't been, by the way, quick plug for the conference. It's an awesome conference. Um, she actually reminded me we met at Dave Van Horn's event which is also an awesome conference in the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, Ashley, thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me. Cool. Uh, Liz Faircloth is next. Uh, Liz, I've probably known the longest here. Uh, met about four and a half years ago. Uh, we manage uh, a bunch of properties that she owns, um, but I've also become friends. And uh, my favorite takeaway from Liz is she also has a background in psychology? Is that fair, or how would you say it? Uh, yeah, but my yeah, my professional background was helping companies around um, different types of personalities and hiring and team building, and so yeah, have some and, uh, So uh, at one point, she gave myself and business partner a um, a test. I don't know the name for it. We PI? both yeah, predictive uh, index. Of course, I did. Yeah, uh, in all transparency. I probably shouldn't say this, but we thought it was kind of stupid. Um, 
And uh, Nate in particular was really unhappy we to do this. We're sitting in the car driving together. We promised we would take it before we saw her and her husband, Matt. So we're in the car going to New Jersey. He's taking it at that point. I had already taken it like, a, like the good student I am. And uh, we did this thing and, and we we're just totally blown it off though. And Liz then talks to us and, and gives us our results. And it was like someone has like, was like looking into our inner soul. It was yeah. like dead on the money, scary. It was like the, 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 it was an amazing experience. By the way, if you have a business partner and you want to get to know them better, totally talk to Liz. Uh, maybe she'll put a link to it or something in the thing. <laughs> um, but anyway, Liz, thanks for joining. Uh, learned a lot from you over the years and excited for you to be here tonight. Yeah, thanks for having us, Chad. We really appreciate it. I appreciate being here. Cool. Uh, last but not least, Andressa, Gidelli? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> the, the question mark was, uh, I was very nervous. I was going to screw this up. Um, so uh, Andressa's out of the Philly area? Is yes. that right? Okay, That's good. That's right. Um, and uh, has a, a background in a bunch of things, but, but probably specializes in more of the kind of maintenance construction rehab side, um, but has also done uh, a lot of buy and hold, uh, which – I love, I love all of your experiences and uh, I'm just so grateful for you guys being here. So thanks for coming on, Andressa. Thanks for having us. Cool. Um, so I want to talk about a whole bunch of our topics tonight. Um, I, I do want to talk about you guys being women in, in real estate, but I actually don't want to start there because I think, uh, you know, when I think of you guys, I think of you guys as being amazing investors. So I want to kind of start off by kind of going into my first topic, which is um, you all have kind of done both long-term real estate investing and short-term rehabs. And I, I guess I, I have a couple of questions on this topic. And the first one is um, how do you think it's been helpful for you as an investor to do both? And, and that's a very open-ended question, but um, I'd be interested to hear kind of your, some things that have benefited you from doing, you know, both kind of short-term rehab projects and also kind of long-term buy and hold investing. So I think that for me, I see it, I see real estate as like a, a, a playground where you can experience different things, right? So you can go on this slide, you can go in different, different <laughs> you know, areas. I like that analogy. You do? You do? Yeah, I like that. <laughs> So it is just a way uh, doing rehabs, right? The first time that I, I had to basically tear down uh, three R of the four lab stories of a house and just leave three walls in, I was like, wow, it cannot get worse than this, right? That's a rehab. They cannot get worse than that. You just have three walls. That's pretty much it. When the um, inspector came in to do the first draw, which was demolition, he's like, okay, in and out, like took five seconds for him to approve the draw because that was, that was clear. So you stretch yourself in terms of your skills. When you do multiples at the same time, I, I got a, at some point I was doing 15 projects at the same time, you stretch your abilities and then you, you, you can go back. So then you just transfer those skills for different things. So when you, you are doing birth strategy on a multifamily, for example, it's just a bunch of small houses together and the level of construction is much less. So things give, you can get a different perspective, right? Like just a, a, a full gut of a, an apartment is just a, 
a heartbeat. It's not a big a big deal. So I think it's just from from a skill set perspective, it just uh, gives me a lot of tools to be used on my toolbox. That will be my take. All right, I like that. Uh, Ashley, you want to go next? Sure. Um, so. I agree with everything that Andressa just stated. I think ultimately by having that experience into construction and understanding the other side of the coin, it makes it easier for you to manage and mitigate risk. And ultimately it creates um, a better opportunity for you to achieve success because you understand the other perspective, you understand estimating, you understand, you know, estimating really comes back down to two variables and it's just labor and materials. And when you understand things from a different perspective, the more perspectives you can understand, the more well-rounded you are and the easier it is to manage. So I think at the end of the day, as investors, all we're doing is managing our capital, managing our investments, managing and, and the way we manage our investments is managing properties. So if you understand construction, you speak the language, you walk the talk, talk the talk, it's, it's, it's a safer way in which to invest. Yeah. I mean, mitigating risk, 100%. I mean, think about on either side of things. It's interesting. Like, if you're doing a short-term rehab, but understanding the long-term potential of making something a rental, that, that mitigates the risk of not being able to sell the property. Um, the flip side is if you're a long-term investor, but understand heavy construction and, and kind of where things can cause major problems, uh, it sure makes the evaluation of the property a lot easier. So that's uh, super interesting and, and makes a ton of sense. Uh, Liz, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, my thoughts are going in a few different directions, but um, I always write notes when, I, when I'm listening to people on, and mm-hmm. on these type of things. This helps me think about things. And I mean, we've, I would say we at best dabbled in rehabs over the years. So we've been investing for 15 years. Um, we've done a handful. I mean, more than a handful. Probably done about 20, I'd say, plus flips. Yeah. Um, Which, done by a lot. the way, 20 is a lot of flips. So let's just... Yeah, I mean, in the realm of 15 years, it's probably not. <laughs> but, um, but that's okay. I, you know, we always looked at... Flipping was like a side hustle, if you will. And like our multifamily was more like bread and butter, if you will, in, in our world. Um, and, and, you know, it's funny. I talk to a lot of people and they're like, oh, I'm going to make all this money in flips and I'm going to put all that in, in rentals. Um, they're both businesses and you have to treat them as such, you know? And I think that's something we learned along the way. I think what's been really helpful, you had, the question was, what have we learned? One short-term, one's long-term. You know, and I always, I always found multifamily or rentals are forgiving. If you make a little mistake, you lose a little bit this month, you win a little bit this month. Short-term projects with rehabs are not forgiving. They're, they're not like, oh, I'll just lose 30 grand on this project. Like it's like you lose 30 grand. It's not like, it, it's a very finite timeline. I mean, you're managing timeline. I mean, I'm just a, I've worked closely with on, on flips. You're managing timeline, you're managing budget, you're managing the team. You don't do those three things effectively you'll lose and it's not forgiving. You'll lose big and you have to bring checks to closing. You never want to do that, right? No one wants to do that. They want to, you want to win if you've done your numbers right and all those sort of things. Um, I'm not saying we've lost on every rehab. I'm not saying that. Um, we've done well with a lot of rehabs over the years. But what I will say is the tight timeline has been very, very helpful when we're managing our rentals because not every timeline is as tight, but you have to apply that focus. It's not just like you have 10 years, like, okay, we have a certain amount of time, especially if we scaled, right? 
we're renovating five units or 10 units or 15 or 20 units, right? That the scale has increased. So you become a little better at managing that timeline and that budget and that team, right? Those three things, quite honestly. And if you don't do one of those three things, you're going to lose on some level. So I think the, I think our, our rehab experience, even though a couple of them really beat us up, you know, over the years has really helped us like that, that identity of, or that, that focus of, okay, how do we manage this to the T so that we can, do well with our, our rentals because ultimately it's same thing. You're managing timeline, team, and yeah. budget. It's not like different, True. but but how long and right, the short scope time. right is is different. So I think um, I think it was better, very beneficial and very helpful. And I'm we're not actively doing any rehabs right now. Um, will we do them in the future? Yeah, I mean possibly. It's not our focus right now, but yeah, um, yeah I mean you have to have the right team and you have to manage those three things. So. Um, I, I want to kind of go further on the whole team concept. Um, look, uh, I, I don't think it's out of place to say, you know, when I go to meetups and I meet with in- investors and stuff, I, I want to say it's 90% male uh, folks I'm meeting with. Uh, I don't, I think that's probably a fair comment. Um, and I don't really think about it. Um, but, but you all probably do a little bit more. Uh, what I, what I'm most interested in is actually, the comment about kind of managing teams, managing contractors, uh, and and in particular, probably managing people who are a different gender than your own. Um, uh, talk me through maybe some, uh, I guess, both uh, your experience of doing that, but also what I'm, I'm most interested in is probably like how to do that effectively. And by the way, I, I say that by saying, I think managing contractors and teams in real estate is really hard even when you are the same gender, right? So I don't care what gender you are, it's tricky. I have to imagine that there's some challenges but maybe there's some advantages too. Uh, I'm just kind of ex- uh, interested in your kind of experience there and um, I don't know, maybe Ashley, start with you and kind of work our way around. Sure, so I probably have a different experience than most because my father was a general contractor and it is a general contractor. I grew up in the business and because I grew up in the business, um, when I started my flipping company, a lot of people that we work with today are people that I've known for my life. And um, so it was very uh, welcoming at first. Now we don't use all the same people that I grew up with. So there have definitely been some challenges when I meet with new people and um, they very quickly realize that, uh, <laughs> that I know what I'm talking about and that, um, you know, that they're not going to be able to pull one over on me. Uh, I think where I see more of the challenge on the managing construction. So I'll just tackle that part of the question first. Managing the construction side is on the commercial side. So I almost feel like I have to like overprove myself in order to get respect. And it's ridiculous in and of itself, but it's something that I have to do, I don't know if it's just the markets that I'm going into on the multifamily, my multifamily business or what, but there is this like song and dance that I need to kind of do in the beginning to earn their respect. And then 
ultimately when I get that, then I'm never challenged again. And, and it's very, uh, it's a very easier uh, relationship from that point forward. But it's definitely something that I have to lead with, unfortunately. And I always get asked, where did I learn about construction? Well, if it, I was a male, I would never be asked that question. I walk around with my brother and he's never asked, where did he learn about construction? But when I talk about construction and they're shocked that I know what a breaker box looks like, all of a sudden it's, well, how did you learn about that? Um, because I have eyes and I have ears and I'm smart. That's how. Um, so ultimately it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit annoying um, if I can just be blunt about it. Um, but in terms of managing teams in general, I think once you have that respect, then it's something that you just turn and pivot and focus on how to effectively manage teams and get high performing teams and then get rid of the, the gender challenges that we, we all face. And to your point, Chad, Ultimately, there are challenges even within the same gender. Um, there are challenges when I work with women contractors too. So it's it's not that you know challenges are all of a sudden removed when the gender difference isn't there, but there is a definite definite extra level that you have to overcome when dealing with an opposite gender. Yeah. Yeah, man, it was just incredibly well said. A uh, bunch of things I'm thinking about. One of which is it's kind of interesting. It like uh, you know, one thing I'm hearing when you say that is like it, it it's tough because you got to kind of prove yourself at a different level. Um, the flip side is I wonder if there's actually some long term benefits of that for you that it whether it's fair or not, forced you to kind of understand maintenance at a deeper level than maybe you should have had to, um, right? But like, then long-term, you kind of know your shit, I guess. Um, yeah, and- I, I just want to say something about what you're saying, Chad, because it's so important. Like, I, I know my shit, and I got to the point that I don't need to justify it or prove it to anybody, and I am okay with that. So when there there's things like that happening... I know when they're happening, when, for example, they, they come, listen, I'm 5'4", can barely speak English. So when I walk at the job site, can you imagine? Like, who is she? The realtor, the architect, the designer, whatever. She's just neighbor, or right? And then when I challenge, for example, I have managed projects from like 30000 to a million dollar construction budget. Right. So when I am negotiating the price and I ask a question, let's say a drywall guy, say, listen, tell me how you come up with this number. And I smile. Right. And then the answer is, listen, I have 35 years of experience and go in that rampage. And then I was like, oh, maybe you didn't understand my question. Congratulations on your experience. But my question was, how did you come up? How did you calculate this drywall and the, the, I'm curious, right, Liz? I'm always saying I'm curious, you know, (laughs) that because I already did the math in my head and I already calculated based on the square footage here and it's not matching. So if you could just go over with me, that'll be great. But you, you, there is like, it is a way, hold on a second. Who are you? What what are we doing here? So then we sit down and we have that conversation. Uh, but in any point, I have to come and say, listen, let me tell you how many master's degrees I have, how many years of constructions I've done, how many courses, and all that. It's too exhausting. And we need to, to 
like I, I asked them to stop playing that game with me because if we sit down and start putting it together, I am not that old. But imagine if I get to, you know, 60 years old and I start sitting down and just spitting out what we all have done. So let's just focus on what it is there and, and respect each other's in terms of, okay, how can we make this work? And if it is not a good fit, it's not a good fit. That's good to go. But it's, it's, it's black and white. It's funny. Um, your, your story makes me think of something. I was telling someone, uh, early, actually on a call earlier today, a, a big partnership we're trying to put together. And I met this person's business partner and super impressive, runs a construction team, um, not very old guy and yet runs a incredibly successful um, construction company uh, and yet didn't was never boastful about what he did um, was actually you know very just casual um, and what, what I was saying in the conversation was and, and I think it's very true is I think the most the most successful people I meet in real estate will never tell you how successful they are um, they kind of let their actions speak for themselves, yeah. uh, which is much of what you're saying there. And it, it is kind of too bad that sometimes you're, um, you know, as Ashley was saying, you're kind of forced to like prove yourself early on about the action you're talking about. Um, but I think there's something to that, that like, if you have to sit there and kind of brag about your achievements, then there, there's like, there's, there's probably a problem with the person you're talking to and also maybe a problem in yourself too, right? That like, there, maybe there's some underlying confidence that you don't have, um, that you shouldn't really need to have to do that. So that's interesting. Liz, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's teams is a big, a big, you know, passion of mine of just like, how do you build the right teams? Um, you know, I, I've been, I've been close to construction from the perspective of like walking our, our properties. Nowhere, my knowledge is nowhere near these two, their knowledge of construction if we go head to head. So we won't even go there. But in terms of. By the way, like, they know, just real quick, they know way more than I do about construction. Probably. Like, there's like, no question. Even, like, I'm there's not no even question. in the ballpark. So. Uh, and that's, thinking. you know, I, I think for me, when we started our business and we grew our business, I was, you know, I had other roles, you know, and I had other roles in our company. Um, in terms of acquisition or managing our tenants, I was big on our property management. We were managing everything of our, uh, all of our units for the first 10 years of our business. So I literally was in really in charge of like managing that side of it. So in terms so of you like, meant just like a really charming property. Yes, manager. exactly. We're like, we're done. We're done. Take our properties. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I, I guess then I, I think building a team is like knowing your place in a team. And, um, you know, in terms of holding my own or not being taken seriously or those sort of things, I dealt with that in different ways with bankers or loan officers or commercial brokers. We did a lot of cold calling to build relationships with on the the acquisition side. And, you know, at that point, we our our street cred, if you will, was was smaller. And we had to like, hey, we, we have done things and or private lenders or our investors, right? Those are all people that I interacted with. And um, you have to lead sometimes by what you, what, who you are, but you also have to see yourself as that person. So many times I think we, we put ourselves like, I'm this or I'm that. I never saw myself as like a woman investor, to be perfectly frank. I never saw myself that way. Not that I didn't see myself as a woman. I was like, I don't know who I am. But I was just, I didn't, I didn't leave there. I was just like, I know what I know. This is yeah. what we do as a team. And, you know, this is the value we can bring, whether it was a commercial broker, whether it was a, a tenant who wasn't sure of us, or whether it was a, a loan officer we were trying to get a loan from, yeah, yeah. whoever stakeholder it was. So I think if you lead from your knowledge and you lead from authenticity, um, everything else doesn't matter as much, if you will. Um, 
But I do think you do have to prove yourself, especially working with contractors. I have dealt with them, not as much as these these two amazing women, but, you know, it's a different world. And they're, you know, Andressa and I partnered on a number of projects. And I remember like contractors saying to her, like, shouldn't your husband be involved in this decision? Like that's, you know, this wasn't like 1950. This was like, you know, a couple of years ago. This is, these are comments we get often, not me, but her. And I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. This is happening in, in, in 2020, 2018. So it's still out there. And, and I think that's why we're all so passionate about, you know, building up a community of women I'll in never, this business. Sorry. Yeah. I'll never forget. Um, I came down with Matt um, for yeah. a property that he was purchasing in uh, Kentucky and helped with the due diligence on that, on that property. And I'll never forget standing there amongst 20 other men standing next to Matt and a few other team members. And they, the lead contractor was talking and looking exactly at Matt after Matt had introduced me as leading construction management. And he kept looking at Matt and talking to Matt and Matt finally stopped him and said, I don't know why you keep looking at me and keep talking to me. She's (laughs) the one who's running construction. I don't know anything about construction. And it was just like, that was really cool for me because um, even though my dad has done that for me, not many other male um, partners, I shall say, in real estate have really stood up uh, for me or for a woman, at least that I've witnessed um, firsthand. So I think when we have more situations like that, uh, you know, it, it's something that we all work together to solve. You know, women can't solve the problem. Men can't solve the problem together. We can solve it. And I think Matt, I will forever be grateful and have tremendous respect for Matt because he did that. That's awesome. Um, uh, a couple of things kind of came out of that. Um, that I kind of want to hit on one is, uh, I think actually, so, um, while I've never been a woman, um, the one thing I was early in real estate was a bit young, I guess, to be in real estate. And it's interesting, like when I hear your comments, what goes through my head is I always felt like, especially early on in my real estate career, I, I knew people looked at me as like, why is someone that age investing in real estate? Like people, mm-hmm. you know, they're younger, don't invest in real estate. That's what older, you know, people do among other stereotypes. So I think that like, I think a lot of what you're talking about is actually very, uh, makes a lot of sense to a lot of people, not just women facing a male thing. There's lots of different people who are trying to carve their way in. They're not originally from the area they're now investing in. And it's an, it's an old, it's a tight knit town that only, you know, let, let certain people in or, or whatever religion or all these different stereotypes that, that come in. So I think like, I actually think it's not just a male female thing. It's actually just a lot. Of, I think probably most people go through this in some way, shape or form. And I definitely agree with everything you're saying. Chad, if I can just like, just went to that point, like, I think it comes back to confidence and it's not about being arrogant. Cause I, I, you know, I, I'm not an arrogant person, but I, I used to do consulting and I used to work with presidents of companies, like successful big companies. And I was in my twenties and I was their consultant. Right. So I'm here, I'm like 24 years old, going into their company, telling them about their team. They could have been like, who's this yo-yo, you know, whatever they said. And, and this was like usually white men who were running these companies, quite honestly. And I just had a, um, I believed in what I was doing and I believed in what we're, what we're stood for. And I think, I think all of us can just kind of dig deep to around like, where do we, where are we confident and how do we bring that confidence to, as we interact with people? It's not arrogance. It's really authentic. And I think 
young, old, wherever you're feeling limited, we can all kind of like tap into that because I think we all have it. Um, I don't think we always tap into it. And I mean, I was, I can be very uh, cautious in some ways, but I always went into those meetings like, I'm here to serve. We're going to help them. I know I can help these people. And, and these people, I had clients who literally were probably 30 years older than me and called me all the time to give me, to get their advice, get, get advice. So that says something and not because I knew everything because I, yeah. I was 24. What did I know? But I had a level of like, you know, I stand for this and I'm going to come into this in a, in a confident way. So I think, I think we all know more than we do, especially women. They're like, I've only done 25 deals. I don't know anything. Like what? You know, like you've done 25 deals. Like, come on. How many times do we all talk to women in our community, right? Ladies, like they're like, I, I can't be a meetup leader. I've only flipped 20 properties. Like what? Yep. Like, and, and we undersell ourselves. And I think anyone that maybe thinks they're less than men, women, wherever you are in your life, sometimes feels less than. So I, I don't know. We all could be confident. We just have to dig deep to what confidence means to us. It's awesome. Um, I, uh, I totally agree. So I have a daughter who's four and a half. Uh, she will get into real estate whether she wants to or not. She doesn't really have a choice. Um, and I'm pumped for her to meet you all as she gets older. But I want to segue into a book you guys wrote. And my segue to my daughter is I think – it's interesting. All right, so I was an engineering major and in my engineering class, it was 95% male. Um, and as I've gotten older, there's been a, you know, an underlying theme of like, you know, why aren't there more females in engineering? And one thing I've always pointed to is like, look, uh, it's tough when your mom isn't an engineer, but your dad is, right? At, at some point, that starts becoming kind of ingrained in your head of your role models are that, that do this thing are a certain gender. Um, and so I think one thing that you guys have all done is start to kind of break through that and give folks like my daughter a guiding path forward that, hey, there are people that, you know, are my gender who are successful in real estate. Um, and then excitingly today are launching a book about that topic. I haven't read it yet because I think it just came out today. So I don't even know if I know the title of it, but I'm going to read it just because you guys all wrote it. And my daughter will read it when she's old enough to read or I'll read it to her. Um, can you get someone just tell me and the group more about the book, maybe why you wrote it, what, what the point of it is, um, you know, who would it be interesting to read, all that I'm, I'm dying to hear about. So the title of the book is titled uh, The Only Woman in the Room, Knowledge and Inspiration from 20 Women Real Estate Investors. And the way that I was inspired to write the book was two years ago at Dave Van Horn's conference, I was invited along with all of the women in attendance by both Liz and Andressa to have a lunch together. And as we were sitting, having this lunch together it dawned on me that we were able to pull together just two tables in a room full of 450 people and seat all of the women in attendance at just two tables, compromising or composing of basically 14 or 16 people. I can't remember exactly, but it was roughly less than 5% of the total people in attendance. And while I was listening to all of the women talk about their journeys, what I realized was that all of these women on their own right, deserved not only to be there, but they also deserved in some situations to be on stage and telling their stories. And that really got me thinking. And I remember driving home that day, telling my husband, who is also in attendance, that I'm going to write a book called The Only Woman in the Room and talk about the 
women in real estate investing. And I really didn't have the framework at that point, but the next year I spent looking at women call my women counterparts, my colleagues and being in awe at, at what they were doing and how they were able to achieve not only um, through personal struggles, but in different asset classes, not even just in the U S across the world, even. And um, it, the book then began to take shape. So I uh, approached Liz and Andressa and um, 17 other co-authors and asked if they would be interested in each writing a chapter, uh, kind of telling their story. Um, Ultimately, I also have two daughters like you, Chad, and um, Liz also has a daughter too. So we really need to, to your point, give are the next generation, someone to look up to and be a role model. So I know at some point my girls are going to think that I am not cool. I'm sure that day is going to come sooner than I want, but I am going to just then say, okay, well, mommy's not cool, but these 19 other women are, and (laughs) you know, you should hear their stories and hang out with these women and I'll introduce them to you because you know, I know all of them and they're doing really badass things and um, it's it's about time. So uh, really it's about creating those platforms in which women can serve as role models and tell their story um, because they're often not given a chance to. It's awesome. It's awesome. Um, so uh, was there anything from the book that maybe like a story that Liz or Andressa kind of, um, I don't know, something that kind of caught your attention or was emotional or, you know, something that kind of stood out maybe that, um, as you guys went through it. So, so this book, uh, just to be clear with everybody, this is not like a fluffy book or something that is just like inspirational. Don't get me wrong. You will get inspired. You will cry. You will laugh. You're like, oh my gosh, this person here, she's hilarious. But this is also something that is going to serve as a guide, right? Uh, My chapter is all about construction, how to vet a contractor, how to manage a contractor. My must-have documents. So it is a guide, too. For in each chapter, you you can get like a little pill, like very concentrated pill for that specific um, subject which is what we want. We don't want an entire thing, right? We already have a lot of things out there, a lot of books at all sources that we can get different things. It's just a, a little hinge. What is more important for us? And then my chapter is about construction. This chapter talks about building an empire and she can share more about what she has on hers. But every single person was very generous and, and vulnerable in terms of sharing their stories and what did they overcome poverty toxic relationships different losses so it's really inspired but don't get me wrong you're gonna learn a lot of a lot of tricks from rock stars too that's awesome I, by the way i just ordered it on amazon while you were while you were talking thank, I was you. Inspired. thank you uh thank you. liz what do you think uh anything catch your attention that people should think about of why to read the book or yeah i mean you, you know I, I mean i've been in business i've been in business a long time like the three of us and you know i've been doing this for 15 years so as i as i read it we were looking i was reading it as from a formatting and from a grammatical perspective right because we we're on the the side of publishing this book which we're really excited about what that's why we came together with, with ashley she had said hey do you want to 
co-author this book and be a co-author and Andres and I are like totally in, you know, Ashley, the three of us were, were building a relationship. She was one of our uh, meetup leaders. And then, and then we, you know, kind of got some awareness around, we need to be publishing this book and we didn't even know what that meant. Right. Who, who even knows what that means when you even say it. We had nothing else to do. But, <laughs> but here's the thing, Chad, we came together to, to, um, to, to, to kind of birth this book, if you will, off of Ashley's kind of brainchild because women need a voice and women need a consistent voice. So we're not going to just publish this book. We're going con- to be publishing a lot of future books to give women a voice and to show these amazing women role models for all of our, all of our young ones. Um, so, so back to reading this multiple times, because really I have read this book many, <laughs> many, many times. And, you know, I was reading it from the perspective of making sure, like, you know, I, I've been in this business a long time. Um, am I going to learn anything? I'll probably learn one thing, but I have to tell you, um, I learned so much. And, you know, I think specifically hearing the stories of women not giving up, like I know, I know what I've been through in terms of challenges and I can, you know, spend all night just telling about the tough things that have happened to us. Um, but to hear all of their challenges, like real challenges, like, you know, like working through, you know, losing their parents and, you know, coming to this country with not even understanding English. I mean, like serious stuff that they had to navigate and then to create a pro, you know, a portfolio uh, was amazing from an inspirational and from a motivational perspective, from a tactical perspective. Like I loved hearing everyone's kind of like how to's quite honestly. Um, selfishly, I, I, I want to do more in self-storage you know, and, and hearing the chapter from Corinne on that, I, I really read that very, it's like, wow, I was just taking notes and like, that is interesting. I didn't think about that. So with your experience with your newbie, you'll get something from this. That's what I, I'm, I think I, I love most about the book because often books are like, oh, this is a newbie book or this is somebody who's more experienced. Um, April goes through a lot of specifics around private money lending and how to do that, raising private money. Um, Kathy Fecky, who's amazing in our, our community of, of investors and who's been a, a role model for a lot of women, rightfully so, goes through her story and what, what her, her suggestions are. So, um, yeah. Hey, by just, the way, this is like a, this is like a, the Hall of Fame list of investors. It is a Hall of I Fame. Mean, uh, I, know, I personally know about half of them. I'm and sure I would you say do. I am, I personally know less about maintenance and construction than most of them. And I am oftentimes intimidated by how much they know. They can run circles around a lot of stuff. Uh, and it, it actually taught me a ton about investing. Um, some of these people I've actually, um, April, I've, I've learned a ton from her and her meetups. So yeah, an incredibly uh, fantastic group of people you put together here. By the way, yeah. I don't care what their gender is. Uh, they're uh, uh, amazing people. Um, so that's really awesome. Um, cool. I want to ask a couple more questions. Um, one, I actually stole from our uh, preview, uh, but I think it's a really good one. Uh, and just kind of off the wall, one thing we care a lot about is diversifying. Uh, and I took this from Bridgewater. I had a ex-girlfriend actually who worked for Bridgewater Capital, uh, which is like the most, turned out to be one of the most successful or these most successful hedge fund out there. Uh, at the time they were a small group and they were small enough. I got to know the CEO a little bit. Um, and, uh, Ray Dalio and, and, um, Ray had this, uh, concept, which was, um, a, a diversified idea, even if not better than your current investing philosophy, makes your overall portfolio much more valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, the theory was just as you diversify, you mitigate risk, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so long story short is, uh, I guess it's a two-part question. My first is, what are you guys thinking about in terms of mitigating risk 
of your own investments? And is there, you know, and, and what's kind of top of mind there? And that could be um, re- like still within real estate and mitigating risk, or it could be something completely outside real estate. Uh, Liz, I don't want to steal your answer. I don't know if you're going to say what Matt's been saying, but Matt's been uh, recently all all hot to trot on a completely non-real estate uh, venture that he wants to do. So feel free to taste whatever you want. But um, I'm just interested as you guys think about like diversifying risk. How are you guys thinking about that either in real estate or out of real estate? Um, what's kind of top of mind? Yeah. I mean, with that, with that lead in, I mean, I think from a, like, so we've been heavily invested in real estate, obviously for many years. Um, but you could, you could diversify by asset class. You could diversify by location. So we, we started in one location in New Jersey and, and then over time I said, okay, you know, what is this? Is this the right returns? Is this the right area? Is this long-term? Do we want to retire with these properties? Right. We've asked all ourselves all those questions, me and my husband over the years and, and said, okay, it might make sense to start, you know, navigating, right. That's when we connected with you going to Pennsylvania. That's when we started doing some more stuff in the Southeast. So you could be all in on an asset class, but actually be actually be diversified in location, mm-hmm. um, and which which is what our strategy our strategy has been in real estate. You know, I'd say in the last several years, we've gotten much more focused on other markets where we're selling some you know a few things in in our kind of earlier purchases, if you will. Yeah. Um, so it's not just diversify an asset class. You yeah. can, and yeah. I think that's really helpful. I mean, as we navigate, I mean, like I said, self storage. I don't know if I'd ever be the sole expert. In, in self-storage or mobile home parks, because I, I know there's a lot to it, just like I know we, we know about multifamily. So I probably partner uh, with someone who does know a lot about that, you know, and I, it's just not our focus in this particular moment. But as we hedge our kind of, you know, navigate our future, I would get into, I would probably get into some of those asset classes, to be honest with you, from a real estate perspective. Um, and, and, you know, just navigate that, you know, we, we've, um, we had an amazing uh, speaker, uh, part of our, our investor summit in, in June. She was a business uh, a hedge fund. She, she manages a private equity firm. Her name's Cody Sanchez. Um, and, and really just blew a lot of our minds because she just kind of came at things very differently than the, the so-called you know, speaker we always all hear about. And she was talking about you know, are you, are you buying a business that's operating and just got, got our wheel, a lot of our wheels turning around just how we do things. So, um, yeah, just recently we had a, we had a conversation with someone around, um, you know, actually a coin operated laundry facility, you know, (laughs) and, and just talk navigating that. Obviously that's a business you have to learn, but, um, you know, buying, buying a business right now that someone else can operate, that I don't need to operate. I'm operating enough, you know, and I, that I'm passionate about, but diversifying from the perspective of, because my husband, you know, as, as I look at our, our track, our, our years in business, we've, we've operated and owned, right? So as I navigate the next several years of my life, I, I want to, I want to operate less, you know, and no more. That's, that's our goal. So um, like what we're doing with InvestHer, we're going to start to diversify even in our own work, what we're up to. We have some really cool ideas coming down the pike. Uh, beyond that, you know, certainly just businesses, just not no brainers, right? So um, coin operated facilities, um, landscaping, like businesses that are like, not that you don't need to, you know, figure it out. I'm not saying that, but it, I, I like the simplicity of those kinds of businesses. So yeah, we're not pulling the trigger right now. Um, it's not our focus at this moment. There's other priorities, but it is something in, in 2021 we want to navigate or potentially get into or even partner with somebody who could run that. Cool. 
Ashley, what do you think? Uh, diversifying, what, what comes to mind for yeah. you? Um, a couple things. One, just going off of one quick thing that Liz said on the diversify within the real estate. You got to look at why, why, why would you diversify within real estate? And ultimately, you need to diversify within real estate for a couple reasons, but most notably is market cycles. Market cycles vary across the country, and a lot of people don't realize that. People think that when we're in a recession, every single city, every single MSA, every single state is in the same recession. Furthermore, when you um, look at market cycles by asset class, it varies by asset class too. So there's another layer there. So you could be looking at a case in point. I'll just give an example. Pre-COVID, if you looked at the entire country, all major MSAs, every major MSA in the multifamily sector was in hyper supply phase of the market cycle. Houston was the only market that was coming out of a recession. And Little Rock was the only market that was going into a recession and everyone else was getting to the height of hypersupply. So when you look and understand that every single market and every single asset class is in a different phase of the market cycle, that's when you realize that you should be diversifying across asset classes and across different markets because ultimately the most advantageous way to play the real estate game is to play it in terms of where we are within the market cycle and the fluidity of money. So if you can get your money and time your money in and out based off of market cycle, you're going to be the most successful. So that's part of the answer to your question. The second part of the answer for me personally is I diversify not only within real estate, but outside of real estate. So I'm a strong believer in real estate. I believe in real estate more than, um, you know, the stock market. That's probably a conversation for a whole other night. But I also invest in other asset classes outside of real estate. So for example, we um, invest in uh, gold and silver, like actual gold bars and silver. We have our own. This is a fundamental belief that we hold that we don't believe that the U.S. currency is backed by a precious metal, and therefore it makes us very vulnerable to being susceptible to collapsing our our currency. And as U.S. the U.S. currency has remained the global currency for, I think it changed in 1940 during World War II. If you look at global currencies, it changes approximately every hundred years. So just like the timing of a recession is approximately every eight to 10 years. If you look at the timing of the global currency changing, we are approaching a shifting of the guard or changing of the guard, so to speak, um, potentially on the global currency realm. And if you look at what China and, and Russia are doing, they are positioning themselves to ultimately probably challenge that. So that's something that we're also looking at. So really what you're looking at on both of those spectrums, if someone's looking at the parallel of what I just said, it's all about understanding markets and market cycle and understanding the different nuances to make you have the the least amount of liability um, across all of your different asset classes. Because I agree with what you were saying um, about diversification across all of your investments leads to the safest way to invest. We strongly believe in that philosophy and then reflect our investments based off of that. Uh, 
I don't even know what to say after all that. That was uh, <laughs> like so well articulated and thoughtful. Uh, yeah, she's the smartest person we so know. So I'm going to uh, keep, I keep, let's go through I don't know if you want to go after that or we can just go to the next topic. Uh, Come on, English is not even my first language. <laughs> I go follow that. Uh, that's unfair. <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to actually bail you out of this one. And here's what I'm going to do. I want to jump to, like, I got three questions that I want, kind of like a fire round. Uh, that, I'm not gonna, using the word fire round. I feel like I'm stealing from bigger pockets. That's not fair. But, like, <laughs> um, these are just totally unique. But I just want kind of just quick, like, you know, either one word or a couple word snapshot answers of things that come to mind uh, when I ask these questions. So I don't need the, I mean, Ashley just gave a soliloquy there. That was amazing. Um, this is kind of the opposite. So the kind of, you know, short sentence, short thought of just, these are some things that are top of mind and things I'm talking to people about on a constant basis that I know people are looking for smart, intelligent thoughts around. Um, okay. So, and we'll go like Ashley, Liz, and Dressa for each one in order, just that way uh, I don't, it doesn't get confusing. Um, so first one is, uh, obviously uh, we sit here as we tape this, it's end of September, 2020. Uh, COVID is dominating everything that is in the news, the media. Um, as you think about an opportunity that COVID has presented itself, mm-hmm or will present itself over the next three months, what's something that you're thinking about uh, that is an opportunity? Not, look, there's tons of bad things going on, but what's an opportunity for the next three months that you, that you think is maybe presenting because of COVID? So that's to me, then yeah. I'm starting this or I'm yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. sorry. Um, buying businesses. I think ultimately the recession of 2008 was a real estate driven recession. And while this is not driven um, except from a, pandemic level. Um, ultimately, the biggest loser here is mom and pop businesses. To, so to scoop up mom and pop businesses on the real estate side, you're going to see that on small to mid-sized multifamily. That's the greatest opportunity that you could come in and scoop up a lot of real estate for discounted prices. Liz, you're next. So I'm going to take it on the side of what we're up to with the investor community. Um, you know, what, what we're finding is that women have been affected more than men in this downturn, in this recession. It's actually being called the she session, pink collar recession. Um, Prior to COVID, just to give you a statistic, women have accounted for 43% of of an employed workforce. Um, That's jumped to 51%. So the fact that women have, you know, dominantly lost more jobs and have been expected to do more in this economy is staggering. When you go back to 2008, men were actually statistically more affected in that recession. So what I, why I'm saying that is the answer to the question is how can people in their real estate venture or in their other ventures solve the problem of unemployment and getting people back to work so that they don't just become financially secure, but they become financially free, you know, and not, not just because of the book that we've created, but what we're up to in the investor community, we're really passionate about that because women, especially women have been affected quite honestly with the COVID crisis, if you will. And we're just like, that's a problem that we're, we're embarking on solving by what we're doing. It's not just this nice community we're creating. I mean, it is a nice community, but um, we're really trying to solve that problem. So maybe not everyone's trying to create a community that, that are your listeners, but I would say as you're positioning your investments, as you're positioning your flips, as you're positioning your rentals, as you're positioning buying a business that Ashley just you know well said, 
how can you solve that problem? Because people want to get back to work and they want to get their family more financially secure. So that's the conversation you need to be having on some level. Awesome. It, that was not a fire round answer, but that is still a good That was so long. It's that was okay. definitely not it's that okay. was long. Andres, but I need uh, to say that. It was burning on my tongue okay. to so say. That, it was a good answer. It was a good answer. Andres, uh, I'm fired. I'm fired. You're up. Uh, <laughs> opportunity Q4 COVID. All right. So, uh, again, following the segue of serving people, what's going on right now? Uh, we are involved. I work with a commercial developer and we are. Um, in the business right now, one part of the business is uh, drug and alcohol treatments. So we are always looking for larger facilities. Um, we are the GC, so we can go in. It doesn't really matter how it is. It just needs to be zoned properly. And I'm telling you, I know a lot about this business that I did not know three months ago. Um, so the, the, really, the goal is to really like a turnkey for drug and alcohol operators. Uh, because we see a, a very high demand and there's mm. uh, uh, federal and state programs that fund those those pro- those programs and the need is out there. And, and you didn't say it, but I assume you're getting at the needs higher than it was a year ago oh, absolutely. due to everything going on. Absolutely. It's interesting. Uh, man, that's why we had these meetups. All sorts of interesting ideas coming out of this. Um, cool. Uh, next quick hitting one is something that people you see people do with how they work with contractors where they could improve uh i don't know big, biggest mistake you see in how people manage contractors that's a better way to, to ask the question okay no 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 go ahead andressa <laughs> Go ahead. I have an answer. I'll write it down just in All case right. I forget. Okay. So, so for for the folks that are listening to us, uh, you guys can put on, on the chat. But I'm talking to the the folks that do either rentals or single family, right? The biggest mistake that I see is paying upfront for a for a product or for a task that it's not completed yet. So uh, I hear people saying, "Oh, I paid I paid my GC fifty percent secure deposit, um, deposit, uh, uh, deposit, yeah. first deposit, yeah. or or uh, the second phase. I already gave half of it, but it's not completed yet. So that would be my main thing: only pay for prop for things that are one hundred percent complete. Think as if you are getting a construction loan from your bank." and behave the same way. The bank only do the draw after everything is completed. So that's how you, you don't get screwed and with people running with your I like money. It. I like it. Real, real quick before I go to you, Liz, um, do, do you pay some amount up front? I mean, I imagine. Yes. In, in, in development, very rare. In uh, commercial, very rare because they, are, they, can, they have capital to get started. Mm. Um, but yes, and it depends. Always people say, but how much is a percentage? It's like a third, a third, a third. It really depends. A uh, uh, new construction, for example, I pay for the foundation. How much a foundation costs? Is it one, two, three houses? So that's what it is. Uh, rehab project, for example. If it is, there's a lot of stuff inside. I'm going to pay, of course, for the, the cleanup, the demolition. But how about if there's none? If it's a shell? Right, so it really varies. The scope of work will determine your deposit. Right, Liz. Uh, put everything in writing and get specific. 
because what you say is a finish or an idea like, oh, I, I want to rehab this property is, is, can mean literally 90 things to different, 90 different people. So if what you want done in that property, put everything in writing, get agreement from that contractor and any change orders, put it in writing, like literally put everything in writing. We've gotten burned a lot over the years from not putting everything in writing and getting complete agreement from that contractor and, and it not versus what you think, what I think, like literally getting everything in, in writing. Awesome. Ashley, uh, you have it in your writing, hopefully. Hopefully you didn't. You know. I'm ready to go this time. Okay, so um, my father once told me there's three things about a contractor. There is quality, timeliness, and their pay scale. So the, the, at the end of the day, you get two out of three. Pick your two. And so if you want high quality and you want it on time, you got to pay for it. Mm-hmm. If you want cheap and you want it on time, you sacrifice quality. So because of that scale and understanding that scale, that's something as an investor, we come with that sort of mindset and perspective. But from a contractor's perspective, they don't operate typically, if you're working with residential contractors, so if you're working on flips, small multis, you're gonna be working with residential contractors. Most residential contractors don't understand the time is money concept. So it's it's very difficult because you have two different perspectives. On the commercial side, when you're dealing with commercial contractors, it's a bit different which is why commercial contracting, I, in my personal experience, has been more on time than residential. Mm-hmm. So I think that is one of the, it's, a, it's an underlying problem that everyone seems to have. I agree. Uh, I guess just part B of that, any, any suggestions of how to think about it, how to deal with it? Uh, what I guess it seems like you're starting to kind of edge towards if you can do c- commercial contracting on a larger scale, some of that risk gets mitigated. Is that a... On the commercial side, it's all about transparency. You're, you need to explain the business plan so that when you're going and getting a scope of work or an estimate and you're walking with a contractor, you're very clear on your business plan. This is a two-year hold. This is a five-year hold. This is a 10-year hold. And because of that information, they will pick the best solution for the problem based on those underlying assumptions. If you don't disclose that information, they are probably going to give you... So for example, if you need your roof redone, but it can be easily solved with patching, they're going to tell you they need to redo the roof because it's a $200,000 job as opposed to a $5,000 patchwork. So if you say to them, I'm keeping this property for 10 more years, they're going to say, okay, you know what? You're going to need a new roof at some point over that 10-year period. You may as well do it now and then lower your insurance premium. It'll help you out on your NOI as opposed to if you're holding it for two more years and there's five more years left on the roof, they're going to tell you to patch it, but they need that information. And I think that's uh, super well said. Um, What I want to do here for the last couple of questions, and then we'll call it, is let people in the audience uh, ask away. Uh, I see there's one question here. How would you manage slash, by the way, uh, if you see this little chat box, if you throw a question in there, I will ask it or ask some format. Um, If you don't ask questions, I'll ask one or two more. Um, but it's been really good. The, the first question is, um, how would you manage slash check on GCs paying subcontractors during the, during the job? Um, and yeah. I have no idea how to answer that question. Andressa seems like she has a good answer. So. Yeah. So, so there are a couple of ways. What we have done in our experience is the lien waivers. So there's two, two, two levels of lien waivers, right? Um, the lien waiver that I get 
from my GC when I give him or her a check and I get a lien waiver for that specific payment. And then at the end of the project, I get a final lien waiver for the whole thing. Uh, I can also request if I don't know this GC is all about relationship too. If it is, you know, somebody that you really know and you see that, that the project is moving forward, that's all good. But just to cover our assets, right? We request a lien waiver from the GC, but uh, second le- a second level is from the subcontractors. You you can request that too. So it's all about the lien waivers before you pay the final payment. Andressa, this is embarrassing. I don't even know what a lien waiver is. Basically saying, Chad, I pay you $10,000. You completed phase one. So you give me, you say, I agree. I received the 10,000. Good to go. Oh, got it. Which means that you, let's say, I, I, I did not pay you. I did not pay you. You can go in, in a, I guess, it depends on where you are in the country or in the world. You can go to your legal county and put a lien on my property. So I cannot refinance or I cannot it. sell without it. Right. So basically, I, I, I got you now. So basically, it, it allows someone to say, hey, look, you're, you can't put a lien here because you were paid for your work. For that amount. Yeah. Yeah. For that amount. That's why you want lien waivers for all the amounts and a final one. But the, my final lien waiver is it's when I'm good to go for my CEO. Otherwise, I'm not doing that. And it's so the, all detail on the, on the contract. Yeah, so the technical term is it's conditional and unconditional. So the unconditional lien waiver is the one that is at the end, which means... Yeah. It's encompassing of the entire scope and a conditional one means like as Andressa was just giving in that example, that it's conditioned on the specific uh, milestone that that contractor contractor achieved. Also to, to, to um, checking on the GCs. Another thing is we ultimately, um, we ultimately contract with the the main contractor. And if it's, if they are subcontracting work, that's on them. So ultimately the contractor, the person we have the contract with is responsible for paying their subcontractors. So in it of itself, when you're doing lien waivers and you're doing payments, you are doing it just on that contractor level, as opposed to you know, their employees even, um, because we've gotten in situations before where our contractors weren't paying their employees. And that is not a pretty situation to be in because ultimately, even though they can't put a lien on the property, they can tarnish your reputation. So it's a very tricky situation. And in our particular situation, we had to get lawyers in to claim that if you are tarnishing our reputation, when we don't have a contract with you, there's um, obviously uh, a problem there too. It's great. Um, this actually led me to one more. I want to ask one more question, and then we'll kind of close it for the night. Um, I so all of you actually, uh, I think, have done a lot of work where you've managed projects kind of outside of where you actually live. Um, and actually, I know from talking to you uh, a lot, I know you've done a lot of this, uh, which I think is like really hard. Um, 
adds a lot of challenge to it. Liz, I know you guys have done a ton of this, and Andres, I'm sure you have too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm just interested to hear, um, I don't know, I guess just the, the, the single, maybe just one suggestion you would have for people for managing teams from afar in real estate. Uh, because, uh, look, I think, and I'm also one more comment here. I, I actually, so there's a phrase in real estate. I hate, d- hate, despise, want to go away. And that is that real estate's local. Um, it drives me nuts. Uh, I, so I actually think it's that way because there's not enough systems process and tech in real estate. And we're very passionate about that, that tech is infiltrating real estate like crazy. And as it does, the real estate is local will go away. It's actually bullshit. Um, it's a term that people use because they don't use enough tech processes and systems to invest um, and manage people. Um, okay, so that is a long-winded uh, prelude to um, your thoughts on advice of how to manage teams and projects when it's not just on the street from you. Uh, I don't. I don't care who wants to start. Whoever's the most passionate about this topic, I guess. So I started my flipping business while living in Europe, and obviously my multifamily business is not local; it's out of state. Um, and I got in a conversation yesterday with my PM, who I love dearly, um, but I said that there is no excuse that you can't manage the the apartment and do certain things um, because we were talking about a printer at the property. And my pet peeve is I don't understand why we need a copy, large copy machine on a print at a property. It's 2020. This is absurd. It's an A-class area property too. There's no reason why we can't communicate via email. Um, and, you know, there's some pushback there and, you know, we have to get mitigate through these whole things, but it's ultimately comes down to communication because that's what team managing teams is all about. It's about communication. So I would say that when you have breakdowns, when you're managing from afar, it comes back to communication. It doesn't come back to the tech that there aren't the tech resources available. It comes down to that you weren't using them correctly to communicate. So when we started our flipping business and I was living in Europe, we leveraged technology through walkthroughs using FaceTime. Uh, My dad and I would walk through. Um, We could create a scope of work electronically and say, you know, take pictures. This is how this room's supposed to look. We can use renderings, et cetera. There's so much advantage to what we have today. And circling back to what I was mentioning earlier about going into a market based off the market cycle, most advantageous position to invest, you should really be leveraging technology. It's uncomfortable at first because change is uncomfortable. It's very easy to just drive down the street to a property, but ultimately the best, the best opportunities don't always land in your backyard. So I'm not saying that you can't invest in your backyard, but I'm saying the most advantageous ones statistically are most likely not in your backyard. So um, managing that communication, leveraging technology, whether it's through different apps, and we could we could probably have a whole conversation just on the apps that you can use on your business because there are a ton of different apps. So there's no excuse there. It's really just getting out of your comfort zone. And um, building trust with people that are local um, boots on the ground. Cool. Liz, Andresa, any, uh, any of your thoughts there? Yeah, a pet peeve of mine is micromanaging. If I need to micromanage somebody, we are not a good fit, to be honest with you. I, I just can't, right? So 
we, what, what we, I have found that it's a, it's a good fit is when I have somebody that is in charge that I can communicate that understands the whole thing. So when I am walking through the property, either virtually or in person, which COVID forced me to walk virtually with that person, right? Sometimes they are there, but I am not, but I am on the phone. So it's the same thing. I'm just like a little face over here on the phone. So my guy, I really have a, a very good, a very tight relationship with him. And uh, I was like, okay, based on our previous meeting, what's going on there? And what, what, are, what are the progress? Who do we need to get paid? What are the problems? And then let's, let's figure it out. Everything is on Dropbox. I should be paid by Dropbox, but how much I, I, I promote them. Because every time that I go there, there is a box where I put all the pictures there. And I also use it for the private money lenders as a report that's how i don't send them an email with every single new picture to me it's like too much time consuming so they have a link for that specific property and that's going to be the link where they can access all the pictures at the all the time so i don't need to be sending all the emails and there is another file where there are the reports by date so I don't send emails. They go there at any time to see all the updates. Awesome. Uh, last question, and I, I will actually close this. So we ask every guest. I can't even answer that question. I haven't talked in like 15 minutes. It's so hard for no, me. No, you, can ask, you can answer the next one. I'm totally the joking. Last, okay. Right. So uh, every guest, uh, we ask, uh, I come on here, what is a piece of tech or innovation you're most excited about over the next few months, year <laughs> in real estate? Oh, asking that question. Not, I don't want to answer that question, but no, I'm totally joking. Uh, mm. So, and, and it, by the way, it doesn't have to, everyone answers this in their own way. It could be a piece of software, it could be an app, it could be something that's not around, it could be something that's coming down the pipeline, it could be an innovation. Uh, and by the way, Liz, you don't have to start, you seem like you're still thinking. No, uh, I have a good, Tracer, I Ashley, if you're- uh, I would say, close. I would say, you know, whether you're a technology person or not, right? There are people who love tech and there's other people that don't. Um, I appreciate technology from the perspective of like what it will do for our customers. So our customers are investors on the real estate side. And we, we really, this, we have a project under contract, we're closing in a few weeks, and we really leveled up our way we interact with our investors. So, you know, I'm excited about diving more into that, not me personally, but our team, and just improving it and just like how can we best serve our investors through like a portal. Um, I think as you grow in this business, wherever you grow, you have to level up your technology. I do believe that because if you don't, you're leaving your customers behind, whether your customers are direct tenants, whether your customers are your your investors investing alongside you, what have you. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative and excited about the tech to serve who we're serving. And for us, it's, it's a portal to help, you know, engage more communication, distributions, all those sort of things which we were doing, we were doing that consistently with our investors, but we weren't doing it through a portal Yeah. Um, up until this particular project because we literally yeah. have, you know, tripled our, our investor base. So we needed to do something. It's awesome. So, yeah. I, I'm a past investor in uh, Josh McCallum's deal and he rolled out some pretty good 
Tech. I don't know if it's similar to what they're using or the same thing, but I forget um, which one that yeah he's using. Yeah, yeah but, he's but using it's the same concept. And it's it's good. Yeah, uh, it does a lot more transparency, easier to put stuff in. Uh, Ashley Andressa, something you're pumped, excited about innovation or tech? I love tech, so I can I can go on and on. Uh, but my latest one for not just project management but team team management and communication, it's uh, an app called ClickUp. I have used Trello, Asana, Podio, Monday, all of them, and I like ClickUp the most. It really it facilitates the communication, the separation of, of, of tasks, and um, I, I don't think I use it at all, but I'm very excited to know what it does. All right. Ashley, you're last. Um, so I'm not a huge, um, like, crazy person about tech, but I really do like tech and I like the advantage, but, uh, I'm one of those people that if you look at that bell shaped curve with their early adopters, I would say I'm after, you know, the apex coming down. <laughs> like I need a little bit of a nudge on the, on the tech side, which is ironic that I'm the one always pushing, like, why are we not using tech? Why are we using paper? I just don't want to actually implement it. I want to be the one that receives <laughs> the reports and doesn't do that. And Liz and Andressa will, will probably know that all too well because I'm like, whoa, Dropbox. <laughs> like I'm a Google, Google Drive kind of girl. I finally figured that out. And now you're throwing this curveball at me with Dropbox. And like, so it makes me, it gives me a lot of anxiety. Um, but to that point on the multifamily side, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of portals on the investor side, but what we're, what we're really starting to see, which is really, really cool is the integration from an investor standpoint and our property management standpoint. So the forces coming together and being one platform, you can see this with Appfolio, for example, that's a platform in which they're trying to merge the two two different perspectives. So I think once all the kinks are worked out, I don't know which platform is going to have the ultimate market share, lion share here, um, because there are a couple other platforms I'm looking at too. I think that'll be really cool to see the integration. Um, there's one that, you know, I've been talking to uh, quite a bit and there it, it integrates every single application you can use. So it's not even just ones that, they have partnerships with, they have the ability to kind of write programmatic right. code or whatever that jargon uh, is. Open API um, is the, uh, is oh, the technical sorry. term. Uh, but <laughs> yes. Uh, so I, I'll just chime in here really quick. So I, I mean, I am so passionate about this. I actually am spending a lot of time on what you're talking about, which is kind of odd. Um, uh, we use Appfolio. Appfolio is actually a closed API system for those super tech nerds out there. Um, and there's a huge push by our company to either get Appfolio to open up or to potentially move to another open API platform. We're actually hiring a CTO, um, Slatehouse is the prime management company, and going to start building different APIs across different platforms we use. So we're really passionate about this. And, and the point that I think you're making really well, which is really true, and I think people are going to start to see this, I think not just property management companies, but also asset management and just real estate in general, I think it's going to become not only easier to manage, but I think results are going to become much more predictable over the next five, 10 years. Because today, results of a project that your, your property management team is so much reliant on the people, right? The local property manager and how good they are. And I, and I know there's different people who are greatest girl this, but I actually think over time, the people become less important. And basically the tech will start to manage more and more parts 
of the overall prime management sphere uh, and that your prime management company and your asset manager will actually be doing more of actually managing tech than just the local prime manager who kind of you're like one all be all person. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a whole theme we could do on this, but I am incredibly passionate about it. I think for investors, what I think is going to start to happen is actually results become more predictable. And by the way, with predictable results, everything is going to be worth more money because when you can predict results, people will pay more for it. Um, that's one thing that hurts real estate right now is that it's some, sometimes results are hard to predict. Um, anyway, that put me on a tangent, but um, it's something I'm spending a lot of time on and it's a really good point, Ashley. So, hey, this has been really fun. Uh, normally we do an hour, but I think we're at like an hour 15 because I, uh, your answers were really solid and awesome and insightful. Um, I want to give you all a chance to let people know how to reach you. Uh, if they're interested in the stuff you guys do or can partner with you. Uh, so maybe just each of you kind of give a way to contact you if they're interested in more info or more about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can reach me at badashinvestor.com or on Instagram at badashinvestor. Uh, that's a very intimidating name. Uh, <laughs> Liz, uh, how, what's a good way to reach out to you? Yes. No, the number one investor at, no, I'm joking. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Um, Ashley is amazing. You know, you got to follow her. Um, best way to reach me is um, our investor community would be great. Um, I'm an active investor, but we're also building this amazing community of women. Um, and my, I'll give my emails, Liz at the real estate investor.com. We're active on Instagram and Facebook. Liz, uh, you know what? I really screwed up here. Can you give the 30 seconds on what real estate investor is? I, I kind of, uh, sure. I, I really sure, screwed sure. up here, but can you just sure. do that? Sure. And tell, um, please jump in, Andressa and Ashley, if I'm forgetting anything. But in a simplistic way, our mission is to empower women to live a financially free and balanced life. And we do that through online communities and offline communities. We have meetups across the country. We have 25 plus, about 7,000 women in our network and meetup. Um, We have a growing Facebook community. These are all free resources. We've been growing organically. Last couple of years, we've had, I think we're close to like 100,000 downloads in our podcast, which is a weekly podcast we dedicate to just interviewing women, uh, badass women. And um, we are, you know, put out this amazing book with with Ashley um, and we are launching a membership, which will be full of um, hands-on mentorship and accountability and a lot of what's not being given and offered in our world of, of kind of support for people. So we're really excited about that. That's happening this fall. Uh, but yeah, you can follow us at the real estate investor. Awesome. And publishing company. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> they write books. We're busy. We're busy. We're busy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Andressa, take us home here. How, uh, how do people reach the five foot four? <laughs> really speaks English, but Brazilian, tell- Brazilian powerhouse. Yeah. Yeah. The easiest way will be Instagram at the real estate investor. That would be the easiest way because Liz already gave the all the the what we are up to. There's a couple of things. There are a couple of things that we are still like hiding, but it's very exciting. But the membership it's it's what's coming up. That's what we are really passionate about. I mean, we're uh, we have been working very hard to build something a roadmap for women uh, to focus on where they're at, but moving towards financial freedom. And we're very excited to launch in. Fall. It's awesome. Uh, my daughter's Isabel Gallagher. When you when you meet her, uh, please uh, you know, be a good mentor to her. Um, hey guys, this is awesome. Uh, Thank you for having us, the, Chad. The Brazilian powerhouse, the kick-ass investor, and 
Liz, you don't you didn't have a good catch name, but uh, you're Sorry, you're, Liz. you're kind of softy in the group, actually. Uh, oh, which is, uh, oh, you're you know, not. <laughs> we've done all our discs. We've done a lot of team building, the three of us. So we've. Okay, that's been clarified already. Yeah. Uh, hey, this is awesome. I, I can't say thanks enough for joining and being awesome friends of myself and our company. So this has been really fun. I hope other folks got a lot out of this and uh, we'll get this out in the podcast and um, YouTube as well. So this is cool and we'll see you guys around. Thanks, thanks for having so us, much. Chad. Thanks for joining us today. I have one more request. If you like this show, could you just please give us a review on Apple Podcasts? I'd really, really appreciate it so more investors can hear about us. Follow us at Real Estate Hackers on Instagram if you're cool like my wife. And if you have a great real estate hack, hit me up. Maybe we'll get you on this show. Real Estate Hackers is an on-air brands production. Eric and team are unbelievable. Thanks for all you do for the show. See you soon.